Newton Media Group, a family of creative services, presents the VoiceOver Work Podcast. Today is Friday, October 29, 2021. On the podcast today, we'll take a little deeper look into a book introduced in a previous podcast with a chapter-by-chapter look at The Science of Attraction what behavioral and evolutionary psychology can teach us about flirting, dating, and mating. Written by Patrick King, narrated by Russell Newton. Chapter 1. Animal Attraction Looking at attraction through the lens of biology is actually the purest way to see it. All the extreme trappings of the modern-day dating scene, Ferraris, tiny bikinis, sprawling mansions, pickup lines ultimately work toward the exact same purpose. They create attraction in an instinctual and almost animalistic way that we can't really rationalize to ourselves. They excite and release hormones, and then something happens. We don't know how to explain it, but we know it when we see it. It's happened for thousands of years, and only recently have we, as a species, been able to study scientifically what is actually happening when two people make eye contact with each other across the room or decide to move in together. Often, we don't fully understand our own actions, but they can usually be boiled down to one of the factors presented in this chapter. This is because attraction has been hard-coded into our genes. We've evolved over thousands of years to be attracted to certain aspects and traits that indicate that someone will be a good partner in biological terms at least. We can see this in our conscious actions. In the beginning phases of dating someone new, you do this to an incredible degree. You pay for everything. You put your best face and outfit on. You act courteously, and you generally try to make your best impression. You make sure you smell nice and look good and pay special attention to showcasing your talents and skills. We present all our positives while subtly obscuring our negative traits and shortcomings. This influences everything, from haircuts to wearing high-heeled shoes. How do we recognize these effects in our subconscious actions? Chapter 2. Don't Say a Word As you may or may not be aware, studies peg the importance of nonverbal body language this way. Between 55% and 93% of the entire message we communicate to others is nonverbal and unrelated to the words coming out of your mouth. The amounts may differ from study to study and context to context, but the overall message is the same. It's not what you say. It's how you say it and how you look. Naturally, this is going to transfer seamlessly to flirting and attraction, perhaps even more so because flirting involves a heavy number of cues and operates within gray areas. If this is important in everyday situations like school and work, imagine how important it is in engineering attraction and love, which reach down into our deepest and most primal relational urges. The overall lesson of this chapter is to arm you with knowledge about what types of nonverbal body language are most attractive to the opposite sex, what to look for in evaluating the interest level of other people, and how to use this knowledge to make yourself attractive before you even open your mouth. Various studies by Helen Fisher, 
Alan Pease and Barbara Pease were able to articulate two main traits of body language that are both indicative of interest and attraction to others on an instinctive level and from an evolutionary standpoint. Body Language Surprisingly, the studies showed that the first aspect of attractive and effective body language is availability. That means that you appear to be open, welcoming, friendly, and willing to engage. Smiles, uncrossed legs, eye contact, and a torso that's pointed fully toward the other person indicate availability. Chapter 3. The Chase Dating advice is one of the most prevalent topics in the world. No matter where you go, and no matter the culture you enter, there will always be magazines and books about how to have more success in dating. Why is that? There are obvious reasons that sex, dating, marriage, and everything that follows is a huge part of what we want out of life. They are some of our primary motivators and consume much of our mental bandwidth every day. They represent many of our hopes, dreams, and aspirations and are the cause of many of our greatest triumphs and failures. Whether we realize it or not, we are always priming ourselves for attraction and the possibility of mating in some way or another. But the other underrated reason dating advice is so prevalent is because it is the epitome of shades of gray. There are an almost infinite number of interpretations for every single action because everyone brings their own bias and anecdotal experience to every situation. There can be endless debate and everyone seems to have an opinion about what to do in certain circumstances. After all, some people like dogs, and some like cats. And how much more complicated dating is. There are countless interpretations, perspectives, and opinions, and each of them is likely to be right in some way. The fact is, few people are subjectively wrong in their opinions which further stokes the flames of discussion and debate. For example, strong eye contact is highly preferred and seen as confident in Western cultures, but is threatening and directly confrontational in some Eastern cultures. But it spans beyond obvious cultural differences as well. Chapter 4. All About Flirting Next time you have a free moment, stand outside an elementary school and watch the children play during recess. Make sure you're not wearing a trench coat and staring for too long. Otherwise, the teachers will call the police on you. While you're surreptitiously watching the children, take special note of how the little boys and girls interact. They'll be flirting in the way only children do, and it will be pretty easy to spot. The boys will pick on the girls and pull their hair. The girls will scream and swat the boys away. The boys will throw soccer balls at the girls. The girls will keep the soccer balls and fold their arms together in sneers. Shins will get kicked and cooties will be spread. Adults do the exact same things, just in a subtler manner. Flirting is the art of getting the attention of the opposite sex. What you use the attention for is up to you. Flirting is undeniably an important part of how we create attraction and get what we want romantically. It allows us to say, hey, I'm interested in you, without actually saying it. And sometimes the uncertainty makes the message even stronger. Just as with any learned behavior, 
there are more and less effective ways of doing it as adults. Some of us are still stuck in the playground mentality of flirting that I just described. Others of us are flat out trying to flirt incorrectly. I don't mean there's only one objectively correct way to flirt. Many people try to flirt in a way they've read about, but it isn't compatible with their personality or doesn't really work in the context of their lives. This, obviously, will lead to bad outcomes. They try to be someone they're not, which completely takes away any advantage they may have had. It's like someone who... Chapter 5. Love is all that matters. Arranged marriages are a spin on love that hasn't quite made the jump to the so-called Western world. To most people in Western cultures, the notion fundamentally redefines the entire purpose of marriage in a less than positive way. In the West, marriage is about freedom, choice, and ultimately love. An arranged marriage, at least from a superficial standpoint, involves values that are the mirror opposite of liberty and diversity of options. Love is entirely about emotional connection and chemistry. So how can you reduce it to an arrangement where the participants don't even meet each other until weeks or days before their wedding? When parents in traditional Asian cultures, Indian in particular, arrange marriages for their children, they factor in compatibility and long-term prospects and tend to assume that physical attractiveness or love are less important if they matter at all. It will better inform the rest of this chapter if we first take a look at how the Indian matchmaking and arranged marriage process works. I took it upon myself to perform due diligence and survey over a dozen Indian couples who had arranged marriages, as well as an Indian matchmaker. Bear with me, the results say a lot about marriage and love in general. Arranged Marriages and What We Can Learn From Them Let's take two single individuals, Neha and Kunal, who live in Mumbai, India. They're both nearing 26 years old, and their parents decide they now need to take charge and help their children start their own families. It's a decision their parents and family make, because that's exactly who tends to take the lead in securing spouses for their children. In many cases, young Indian adults... Chapter 6. How to Know What You Want You Don't so we've considered different approaches and mindsets when it comes to attracting others, to the chase and building attraction, and, if we're lucky, to sustaining that attraction so it turns into a fulfilling relationship. Let's turn now to something you might have overlooked in your dating quest, what you're even looking for in the first place, and why. When I was a teenager, I thought I knew exactly what I wanted in a girlfriend. Consider this in a teenage perspective. First, she had to be a ballerina, because I had a couple of friends that were ballerinas, and they were pretty, fit, and fun to be around. Maybe it was the side effect of constantly being in spandex and being scrutinized, but they didn't seem to let much rattle them. Second, I had to have a car, because I drove my mother's car and had to split car time with her, which was annoying, because she went shopping a lot. The year before, I was almost late to the winter dance because of my mom's dance aerobics class. Third, they couldn't be painters because my friend Molly was a painter and the only thing she talked about was the new art she was planning and creating. 
At first, it was nice to hear about something different, but it was getting old pretty fast. I intentionally sat at a different table than her at lunch, so I think my message was pretty clear. A teenage perspective, over. To many of you, the teenage me sounds simplistic, idealistic, and shallow. Call it what you will. That's certainly how I would characterize it. The teenage me allowed random occurrences and events to shape my views and also cared about those things that had no logical connection to anything that would make a good partner. Almost everything had a shallow basis and was Chapter 7. Acts of the Amorous Nature Much of this book's been focused on how to get to this point, intimate relations. When you have successfully engineered attraction to the point where you can consummate that attraction, congratulations, you've reached the peak. There's nothing left to think about. You've won, and everything is downhill from here, right? That would be nice if that were the truth. It seems like the end goal might be to have sex with someone, but in reality, the goal is to have sustained intimate sex with someone. That's a very different goal because of how much it encompasses and the hoops to jump through for it. In essence, we're talking about how to achieve remarkable sex. Some people might view sex like pizza. Even bad pizza is still a good meal. But if we want to fulfill our real goals of sex that accentuates an emotional bond and that can lead to a relationship, we can't just take our cues from pornography. Sex is one of the most primal drives. As such, as with before, this can make us relatively predictable in a way that you can take advantage of. Here's the thing about great toe-curling sex. It isn't what we think it is. We've continually been told it's one spicy secret sex position, or delving into blindfolds and whips and chains, just because it's novel and exciting. At least, that's what magazine covers have sold us. Much of what we think makes for great sex is split into one of two camps. It's either about specific techniques you can be doing better or more of, or it's about spicing up your sex life in ways that simply blow your mind because they tap into your deeper and darker fetishes. While those this has been The Science of Attraction, What Behavioral and Evolutionary Psychology Can Teach Us About Flirting, Dating, and Mating, written by Patrick King narrated by Russell Newton. Copyright 2021 by Patrick King. Production copyright by Patrick King. Amazon.com has more information regarding the author and this book. Show notes and further information can be found at RussellEricNewton.com. With an eclectic collection of insights, knowledge, and trivia from some of the newest audiobooks on the market, this has been the Voice Over Work podcast, brought to you by Newton Media Group, a family of creative services.